there. Welcome to How I Got Hired, the podcast to inspire ambitious professionals just like you to find that job you love or completely reinvent your career if that's your thing. I'm your host, Sonal Behel, founder of Supercharge and Career Strategist. And every week, I hold conversations with ordinary people from around the world who've had extraordinary success in finding their dream job so you can learn how they got hired. Today's guest is Alan Brooks. Now, Alan has studied and worked in the theater arts and film and now is chief creative officer at Building Momentum, which is a firm that recently won the best veteran-owned small business award. Wow. So how exactly did Alan go from content producer for kids at the John F. Kennedy Center for Performing Arts to teaching 3D printing, laser cutting, robotics, and so much more to grown-ups? Hmm. Well, let's find out. Um, Alan, very warm welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So I'm excited to get in because I one of the things I love, Alan, about having a podcast is just sheer diversity of guests and theater and film. Ooh, you know, I can almost like smell like the glitz and glamour. I know the reality is a little different. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, before we get going on like all things career, I want to talk about this decision you made to study theater arts and film. Was it one of those things, you know, where when you know, you know, or, you know, like how natural did it feel when you made yeah. this decision? Um, that's an interesting question. I, you know, I found theater and performance when I was in high school. And um, so I was probably 14, 15, 16. And I had done little stuff, you know, as a kid, you know, you go to a theater camp or you, you talk to um, or you do a thing in middle school when you're in, in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. But then uh, when I got to high school, um, that's where I found my people, right? That And that's really what it, it was about for me as a kid. It was about being in a space where I felt safe and loved and um, accepted amongst my peer group, which, you know, is hard for any 17, you know, 16, yeah. 17 year old kid. And I was overweight and I was, you know... Um, not athletic. So it was, it was the place where I found, uh, found my people, found yeah. my home at school. Yeah. Um, and so I realized that that's what I wanted to pursue. I wanted to pursue that feeling of feeling, um, at home, feeling at, at, in a, in a family of choice, right? I grew up as an only child of a single mom. So, you know, it was where I found my brothers and sisters, my, yeah. uh, the godfather of my kids I met through theater, um, oh well, I gosh. met in seventh grade, but you know, the, the, you know, the closest they think that they have to an uncle is, is related to this group of, of kids that I found. So, um, that's when I discovered I, I wanted to do it. And I also really enjoyed it. Hmm. Um, I enjoyed being on stage. I enjoyed creating art. Um, even though at that point, I don't know, don't know if I would have called it that. <laughs> <laughs> not the point, not the point. But but Alan, I'm curious. I'm trying to visualize you, you know, on stage. Were you like a singing guy, dancing guy, acting guy, oh, or, or all I, all of the above? I I kick myself so much. I was very serious, especially once I got into my professional studies at university. 
um, like what it means to create art and study art and, and be an artist. Um, and I am, and the worst experience I had as an undergrad was in my not worst experience, most terrifying experience was when I had to do voice juries and my, for my voice, uh, performance class where I had to sing, um, Bill Sykes from Oliver and Oklahoma or yeah. Right. No, right. Uh, Oh, what a beautiful morning from Oklahoma. And I was more terrified of that project than any other time I had been on stage. I, I was also embarrassed of loving musicals the way I did. And like, I just wish I had, I just wish I had dove into it and done mm-hmm. some shows and done some musicals and, and sang some songs uh, and learned more dance. Cause I also learned a little ballet and a little jazz and a little tap. And I wish I'd learned a lot more um, when I had the opportunity to spend my days studying art. Cause mm-hmm. like, you know, I look back 20 years ago when I was in undergrad and I, I joke with my wife, she's a public health nurse now. And she was in uh university at the same time as I was. And we were dating and we would talk at night and she was like, Oh, what did you do today? And I would say, Oh, well, you know, I had a rehearsal for a show. I had the, 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 you know, lovemaking scene with Karen. I had the, the, the dance class where we were working on um, our, naturalistic form so i was a tree in there and uh greg and i did a fight scene after class and um and she would be like oh um i literally saved a human life today yeah we're not <laughs> you so, gave people joy which is right, something right. yeah i i get that but i also want to say something here um a couple of things in fact uh because I was, I was totally imagining Billy Elliot right now when you were talking, because there's so many ignorant people are like, ooh, he likes theater and musicals. Like, ooh, like what's wrong with him? Um, that's something that happens across culture, uh, cultures. But uh, the other thing that you said that I found so beautiful, I chose theater or theater chose me. It's because that's where I found my people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you're, you're so blessed that you were able to study this full time because there's so many people probably out there who like something, but they've been fed, maybe yeah. brain, brainwashed that, hey, this is great, but let's get serious. You know, you got to put food on the table and you got bills right. to pay. And this is not a way to do that. But you, so, 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 so then let's move on from there because you did it. You wanted to do it and you did it. So one of your early positions was at a local high school when you were hired as the director of theater arts and film studies. So I know there's a, a little backstory here, Alan. So talk yeah. to us about how this came about. Well, I mean, yeah, so I was, so I have to jump back to school for, for a second. Um, I was really lucky to go to a, a place called Christopher Newport University, which is a really small liberal arts college in Southwest or Southeast Virginia. And our program of study in, in theater arts was very, very pragmatic, and it was very much focused on a career. Okay, uh, okay. And so as we as we were gearing up to leave as seniors, um, the faculty were really focused on making sure that we had a resume and headshots and knew as oh. we entered the professional world. A lot of schools uh, of the arts, which I, and I, I think everyone should get a creative education across the board. I don't care what you do. If you're a CPA or a, a, a doctor, I think creativity needs to be in yes. your background. That's why we integrated them in what we do. And yes. What we do momentum. But um, at university, they were like, 
theater's a career. If you can't get a job in uh, performance, it's not necessarily your fault. As long as you do the work of knowing that you show up to the audition ready to go, you know, lay the best work that you can on the table um, and walk out of the room with no doubts about your work, you will still not get jobs, right? No matter what, yep. because it is such a um, subjective yep. um, industry that you walk into a room and the director can already have decided about you, whether or not you are going to fit the part by the time you even open your mouth. Yes. And that's their right as the, as the creative director. So, so, so random, right? Well, I mean, there's randomness and there's, there's fit, you know, maybe you're going into a thing that already has a, a, a co-lead cast and they have yep. to make sure, sure. Like, I'm, I'm six and a half feet tall, right? So I'm a very tall guy. And if I'm on stage with somebody who's a co-lead and they're 5'11 and they've already been cast, they're not going to cast me. So no how good I am, because we're going to look weird. Yeah. So, so that's a, a, a really valuable lesson. And I, I held on to that as I was working for the, the first two or three years after my, after I left university, I was um, doing a little bit of stuff um, in uh, film wherever I could get a, a gig, like as an extra or as a, a day player or independent movie or free stuff for friends, no matter what I would, I would try to be in movies. Um, and I was not very successful there. Um, I looked back and, and I, you did a lot of stuff in industrial work, which is like training videos for Exxon Mobil or, you know, working at a gas station or whatever. Um, Slightly still soul crushing. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, fun because you're still making something, right? That's true. That's true. It wasn't, it wasn't soul crushing because I was like on set, I was working, I was performing and getting paid. That's as true. I, I take um, that back. <laughs> um, but it, uh, the soul crushing ones were when I was dressing up like Gene Simmons from Kiss for bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. Um, oh boy. Darth Vader. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was the best paid job I had as an actor, but it was the, the most soul crushing. Yeah. Um, but then I looked back after a couple of years and I had on average as an actor been making about $15,000, $16,000 a year. Mm. Um, it just wasn't mm. a viable way to continue um, – growing as an adult. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, I was uh, engaged at that point. We wanted to get married. We wanted to start a family. So um, I started looking for something that would be creatively satisfying and artistically satisfying and pay me a decent salary. So there was a, a local high school that right at the end of the summer was just desperate for a theater teacher. The teacher they had had left suddenly over the summer they had a vacancy and they would literally hire anyone with a theater degree. And I raised my hand and they said, you, so I started teaching at, um, what was then called Robert E. Lee high school. And thankfully has been, uh, finally renamed, uh, John Lewis high school in Fairfax County, Virginia. And, um, had no idea what I was doing. I was a 25 year old, 24 year old, uh, you know, actor, who they were like, here, be in charge of children. Sure. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to make it up as I go along. And That's what I do. Mm -hmm. um, did a lot of the same work that we did as, as uh, undergrads. I brought in a lot of what I learned from my professors and I called them often with desperate needs for advice. Um, and I um, thought I would be able to work creatively during the summers you know, in summer stock and things like that. But then I also realized the 
the truth of teaching high school or nights and, you know, do shows at night and, and DC theater is very accommodating to people who have full-time careers because it's, you know, such a transient town, but that was completely out the window after my first show. And I looked back and I had been working from 7 AM until 9 PM almost every day for two months because I was also teaching theater, but then running the the shows. Mm. So I was directing the shows mm. and it was, it, it, looking back, it was really satisfying to work with these kids and expose them to theater for the first time and set them on a, a really exciting track for some of them. Um, a number of my students are still connected to performance. They're, um, uh, some are doing stand-up comedy. Some are uh, writing. Some are, are in um, shows. Um, some are creating their own work. And some are, you know, CPAs and, and working on the sure, Hill. Sure, sure doing other work, but they all have this connection to the arts and creativity in their background. A lot of them went to university for it too, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, and I think that if you are able to, the, the most important thing about, especially a performance career that I can look back on is I was taught how to mess up a lot. I was taught how to fail and given a, a safe space in which to do that. Um, you know, if you're working on a scene and you're with your scene partner and there's a director in the room, they're going to stop you a lot and be like, Hey, stop doing that. Go back, try it again. Tell, uh, you know, listen to what she's saying. Stop. Okay. We're going to start again. You go through the scene again. Stop. She didn't, you didn't listen to her. Oh, okay. Stop. Let's start again. And you go through the scene. Yeah. So like, not, not very judgmental because you're like, oh, yeah, you're going to do it till you get it right. Right. And you, and it's not even about getting it right. It's about trying a bunch of different things and seeing what. Mm, experimenting. Got it. Got it. That's just iterative product design. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Design thinking. Thing. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It is design thinking before IDEO came up with. Exactly. Before, exactly. Before it became fashionable and people started talking about fail fast and fail forward and it's good All to fail. Right? But it's so satisfying, Alan, uh, to hear that. Um, you know, when you make an impact on these kids, they grow up and they'll be like, they'll remember, you know, uh, <laughs> Professor Brooks, look, <laughs> look what I, you know, look what I did or, you know, this is what I'm studying. That's a, that's one of the best things about, uh, about being it's a teacher. The only good thing about social media is that I can still keep in touch with some of my old students. It is oh. <laughs> I, I totally, I totally get that. And um, just for our listeners, because uh, you said something, and I uh, always remember because our uh, any listener who's who you know who follows the metric system, six and a half feet is oh, yeah. is one ninety eight centimeters. That's yeah. heck of a tall, heck of a tall. So you're 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 quite a uh, you have quite a presence on stage. Let's just put it that way. Um, and and speaking of stage, um, Alan, talk to us about this role that you got, and you were at this role for quite some time, interactive content producer. Yeah. At the John F. Kennedy School uh, Center of Performing Arts. This sounds so, quite competitive. And, and and how did you get hired for this role? Yeah. So I had left teaching to to because I wasn't again, I wasn't being the creative I wasn't creating the way mm -hmm. that I thought I, I, I should be. I had to fight with administration all the time. I had to um I had a much different perspective on what kids should be learning about theater and and from the theatrical traditions than what the administration believed was appropriate. So if we were talking about, you know, a show that had sex and drugs and violence in it, which are issues that children deal with at 16, 17, 18 years old, um, 
the school would be like, oh, we can't have the kids learning about that. And I was like, fine, we'll do Midsummer Night's Dream, which is all about sex and drugs and violence. So it worked out well. But the point being, um, I had I had become relatively dissatisfied in my mm-hmm. role and I was looking for something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I took uh, uh, about 10 months off to learn 3D animation. Um, so uh, how to create... Uh, Pixar characters and movies and things like that. Um, yeah, I did. What year was this, Alan? This was 2000. This was the end of 08 into 09. It was still very much the peak of, you know, uh, cars and all of that stuff. But but at the same time, the Pixar stuff that you're talking about, which continues to be so evergreen today. Yeah. So you were right at the peak of that. Well, I thought I, thought I was going to be, mm. I wanted to get into video games and mm. game design. Um, and then I realized it was, a, it was a really truncated, fast, you know, fire hose type instructional program, um, that said, you know, that, that I was going to be going through in about, like I said, nine or 10 months. Um, and I realized at about month six that I wasn't very good at it. So, but I did understand the vocabulary of what we were doing. I understood the technology, I understood the software. I just wasn't a, a talented artist in that medium. And so um, I started producing our classes content. I would like be the project manager and I would be like, hey, Eric, let's make sure we get this done before this date for our deliverable for the final project. And like, hey, Gavin, let's do this thing. Let's do that thing. Um, so I produced the the final product. I didn't do a lot of the actual art because, again, I was mm-hmm. garbage. Um, so um, so I um, left the program and did like odd jobs and worked for the school in a couple of different ways for about six to 12 months after that, um, trying to find some landing. And then I saw that the, the John F. Kennedy center had this, uh, job wreck out for an interactive content producer for a, a program called arts edge, which unfortunately, uh, the name doesn't exist anymore, but the program is now called digital learning from the mm-hmm. Kennedy center. And, um, so they Alan, were, Alan, for anyone who's listening, who's, who's not familiar with the center, could you tell us a little bit about it? So the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts is the nation's performing arts center. It's also the National Memorial to President John F. Kennedy. Okay. Um, so just like the, the Washington, D.C. has the Washington Monument yes. and the Memorial and the yes. Jefferson Memorial, this is, the, this is John F. Kennedy's memorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also functions as a working performing arts center. Mm-hmm. So it, um, both... Uh, has it has three major um, performing arts halls. There's a concert hall, an opera house, and, and a performing art and a traditional uh, theatrical stage. Um, and I think in, in total it has about eleven or thirteen, maybe now fourteen stages. Um, oh wow! So 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 it would be fair to say uh, getting a, a role there um, as an interactive content producer is kind of a big deal. Well, yeah, it, it it certainly felt like like that. After working there for a year, you're like, oh, this is my office. And it's one of the most beautiful buildings in D.C. It was, you know, it's this massive, gorgeous, uh, you know, uh, red velvet floor adorned um, stage where, you know, the most important performing artists of the last two generations, three generations have. Yeah. Um, and so you you walk in on the first day of your interview and you're like oh my god yeah and then you're there for 10 years and you're like i work here <laughs> again great um but when uh the job uh posting went out they were looking for someone who had an artistic 
a technological and an education background. So they were kind of looking for a unicorn that I was like, that's me. Yeah, um, the purple squirrel. That's me. <laughs> it was very funny. I um, I had, it was, oh, it was 2010 maybe? I think I started there, 2009. I, I don't remember exactly when it was, but um, I do know that I had just gotten an iPad. Mm -hmm. uh, the very first generation, like the, the rounded one and like mm -hmm. with, you know, this magic, you know, glass thing. And um, I brought it to my interview to show my demo reel on, which yeah. now yeah. is like the most mundane thing in the world. Of course you do that. But the vice president at the time was like, I, I found it after the fact, he was like, that was really cool that he brought that and showed us that thing on that iPad. I hadn't, he hadn't seen one before. And so like, was this moment of June, June, 2010, I just saw your LinkedIn. So this was like cutting edge technology at the time. And you yeah. pulled, pulled all the stops to impress. Right. So it was, it was about showing a, a versatility with technology. Um, you know, I worked as, I had worked as a teacher for five, four years at that point. I had, um, you know, gotten this technology education in 3d animation and I had been a performing, a working performing art, artist with a, a theatrical BA. So it was like, it fit, it ticked off all the boxes. Um, you know, I think I, I think I, uh, lend a lot of credence to my undergraduate, um, education to why I'm good in interviews. Right. So I was taught how to perform and I was oh. given audition about a million times for shows. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was interviewing for a job, I just treated it like another, you know, audition, you know, present yourself well, dress well, write a thank you note, um, you know, all that stuff that you learn as an undergrad in theater and all those reps that you have on like standing in, on a stage alone with a spotlight on you, you know, saying, but now the blood of 20,000 men to triumph in my face and they are fled. Like you gotta, you gotta do it. And yeah. so when it comes to interviewing with in a brightly lit conference room with, you know, two people, you're like, ah, oh, this is, I got this. I'm going to pause for a second. This is fantastic. I was literally talking to someone yesterday, Alan, and, um, you know, they said, be yourself is such BS advice. And I said, actually, you can be yourself, but remember um, in interviews, yeah. you are a performer and it's like a stage. I literally talked about it yesterday on, on Clubhouse. Um, so Anyone who's listening, you got to tap into your drama classes, no matter how long ago they were. Um, wow. And when you've been through so many auditions, millions of auditions like you have um, with someone, you know, someone like Alan who has, not only does it like confidence is not an issue. Um, it also, I think, coats you with this um, extra layer of resilience. Well, you just expect to not get the job. Right. That's exactly. The, and you're uh, not so attached to the outcome. You're like, I'm right. just going to have fun um, because there's a very high chance that I'm not going to get a call back. Right. And you're like, no. I'm just going to make the most of it, whatever time I have. No, I would stage. I would argue all day long with whoever you were speaking with yesterday, because like I, I from the hiring position that I'm in now, I desperately want people to be themselves. Because that's the most important thing to me is that people fit with each other here and that the the that the human beings that work together are comfortable and safe and happy yeah. with one another. And that has to do so much with who these people are. So I, I think you have to be 
yourself, you should show yourself. Oftentimes, like the things that are indelible about an interview, the things that I remember are the moments where people let their guard down a little bit and are themselves and talk about the one, one of the one of the most um, one of my favorite interview questions that has absolutely nothing to do with the job is I always ask people, what is the most important thing I need to know about you right now? And it has not, I don't want it to be about work at all. Mm -hmm. And I say that, I'm like, I don't want you to talk about like, I'm a really hard worker or Mm -hmm. I, I always show up on time. I give 110%. Sometimes I try too hard. None of that. I don't want, Mm -hmm. I want to hear like, oh, um, well, you know, after the pandemic, I finally got to see my family and it was the best trip of my life. And like, I got, we got to go and like hug people again or, you know, um, I just saw this movie that was amazing and I really loved it. I just want to know who you are as a person. I care about that. Yeah. Uh, if I'm trying to fill a role, I'm trying to fill a, a role with a human being, not with just a thing that can do the job. We need more like you, Alan, for sure. And it's one of the reasons why people feel like, um, I mean, I do agree. And I also feel like, you know, you want to make, you want to give it your best at the same time. Right. And, yeah. and um, so when you walked in, you know, I'm imagining red carpet, velvet, everything, you know, the whole, and your jaw drops to the floor and you're like, oh my yeah. God. And then so, you get and it's run down. No, I'm joking. Um, so you have your ipad you're showing them the stuff and you check all the boxes it sounds like it was easy am i i mean i don't know i you know i i never got perspective on who who else applied for the job or what else was was you know happening behind the scenes so i don't truthfully know if it was a really hard process or not um i think i like to think that i was just the right fit um for for the role and for the the people on the team um you know, we we stayed together, um, the three of us who worked on the team, and we, one person went off because she was was um, really dedicated to the um, visual arts, and so she went to run a gallery in DC, which was her bliss that she she pursued. But uh, the the three of us that were working underneath the director of the program, you know, we're still friends mm. now, um, and we work together. You know, and they're both still at the center, and it's you know. Um, yeah, it was great. It was just, I was John F. Kennedy center, as well as the school, uh, that you talked about in South Virginia. I think they both were really lucky to get you, you know, um, very difficult, uh, profile. We don't know where we're going to find this person. It's all about who, you know, what, you know, how did you hear about this one in, um, uh, at the center of, the, of performing arts? How did you hear about the role? Honestly, I think it was just a web search that I did. My point is. You yeah. hear a lot of advice um, about this is the only way to do things. The network is the only way. You got to talk to the hiring manager. The best positions are not advertised. It's not necessarily true. Not everyone has the time or patience to go around in circles through the back door. Yes, it works, but it takes a little longer. But if there is a shortcut in front of your nose, there's no reason to not take it, right? That- and. and- that being said, I, I agree. I mean, you fi- if you're looking for a gig, look everywhere you can. Exactly. But definitely lean on your yeah. your network and 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 reach out to your friends and family and things like that. I mean, for we, sure, we built building momentum with people we knew. Yeah. Uh, no, for sure, for sure. Um, you're you're not going to do just one or just the other, but it's right. about firing multiple guns at the same time. And I'm glad you did so. That's the thing. It's I, you know, I've talked to a lot of groups and and been on on in interviews and podcasts and things like this where like everyone's looking for the right answer and there just isn't one there just 
It's 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 so short sighted to think that, and it's, it's definitely short sighted for me as a you know brown haired middle aged white guy to be able to like, oh, I have all of the answers. Um, <laughs> no, and you have all these coaches. My goodness, on on yeah. uh, social media, like this, this, this never a silver bullet for no. anything. In no community and no. No, no. I, anyone who's promising these weird, like you know, snake oil, like shortcuts there's you just run run in the opposite direction speaking of running speaking of running momentum let's talk about this firm building momentum there's um i got lots of juicy questions here i'm sure there's a there's a backstory on how it got started and how did you get hired by your very first paying client you know tell dish dish it out uh, alan for us uh, so Building Momentum uh, is a creative problem-solving agency. We have been around for about five, yeah, about five years total, I think, from the actual like founding of the company. The company was founded by um, Brad Halsey and Albert Vega, um, who were co-workers at a, another uh, government contracting firm. And um, uh, Brad's our CEO, and Albert is our CTO, or Chief Technology Officer, and I'm the Chief Creative Officer. And um, it started because Brad and Albert were spending a lot of time in Iraq and Afghanistan as embedded scientists, um, working with members of the armed forces, uh, helping them develop uh, technology solutions for problems that they were feel- facing downrange or in the field. And so um, they would, you know, a, a Marine would come back or a soldier would come back and be like the MRAPs, which are these big truck things that were built to withstand IED explosions are great from, for that perspective. But the, the power lines in Fallujah are so low that the MRAPs keep pulling down all the power lines when we drive through town. So they would have to build a bespoke solution for this $2.4 million, or I don't even remember how expensive an MRAP is, but a very expensive piece of tech. Um, They ended up building a uh, basically a, a roll cage out of fiberglass tubes. Um, I can't that, even imagine uh, any of this. And not only, not to, not to forget, just being in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, in the middle of, you know, violence. They, and, were there, they, they were there in the height of it. Um, yeah, wow. And they, they were, tra- so they, they were there, uh, Albert and Brad were overseas. And then they came back and they were running a program training scientists scientists, excuse me, to do the same. Mm-hmm. So they would um, take scientists out to the desert. They would teach them um, all about like living in austere conditions and do a little weapons training and all this stuff. And then they would send the folks that didn't, you know, wash out, they would send them over to Iraq and Afghanistan for six months or a year deployment. And then they started thinking about it and they were like, you know, maybe we should just start teaching the science to the warfighter. Let's embed the knowledge in the folks who are already trained to be in a war zone and survive in a war zone. So building momentum was started out of this idea about of democratizing technology education to the actual warfighter. So um, Brad and Albert started the company. They were working in the back of a, a maker space in Arlington when uh, a general wandered in. It was right across the, the, uh, the highway from um, the Pentagon. Mm-hmm. And, he was like, he found Albert and Brad in the back of this place teaching a group of teachers from Colorado. And uh, he was like, this, I got a bunch of Marines that come here all the time. They're wasting a bunch of their time here. They're building, you know, 3D printed tchotchkes and, and playing with, with tools and stuff. But what's the, like, what's the actual value here? And, and Brad was like, let's have coffee and talk about it. And 
they formed this relationship um and uh the the general at the time was like let's try something let's teach some marines so they built a um with a very very small contract built a mobile maker lab in the back of a nascar trailer that got driven all over the country to different marine bases to train marines in 3d printing and laser cutting and welding and robotics and electronics and all the tools that they can use so that when they're faced with a hard problem they can have the confidence and the permission to think oh not only do i identify what the problem is i know how to solve it using the tools that i've been trained to use so that program was extremely successful the pilot was um and looking back now we've trained over 4500 marines mm-hmm. uh, and various members of the DOD. Now we're training um, some folks whose organizations I can't tell you about. And sure. <laughs> so, so that's a lot of people, four and a half thousand Marines. And, well, and we've trained uh, not just, it's not just members of the DOD and armed forces. We're training teachers. We're teaching uh, 12 year olds. We've got our camp, first camps running this year. We're, um, we're training civilians. We're training um, everybody. We, wow. we just, love to democratize technology and get this knowledge into people's wow brains. okay that's that's extremely impressive alan and and how did you how did you come in how did you start here mm. so um found my people right um uh so just like when i walked into you know the the theater in high school and found a group of people that that i loved and loved me um when um my first child was born my wife uh, joined a, a group called Moms Club International, I think is what it was called. And it was um, an organization that would pair you, not pair, but group you with other parents in your zip code or in, you know, in the mm. immediate region, um, all of whom had kids in the mm. same mm. like three or four month period. Mm-hmm. Brad Halsey, um, his daughter was born, I think, two months before my son. Um both of our wives joined this group. We started having these these play dates, these hangouts with our babies, and Brad and I were like, "Oh, we're best friends." Like we, it was just one of those things where you know you meet somebody and you're like, "Ah, we're it. We fit. We're we're buds." <laughs> so um, we were friends for you know uh, seven, I guess yeah, six seven years, and then um, he took me to, he convinced me to come see The Hobbit with him, which I didn't want to see because it's a trash movie. I'll stand by that. Um, but he uh, got me two margaritas deep before the movie, so I couldn't not leave. I agree and, with you. After uh, Lord of the Rings, such a letdown. Anyway. Oh, listen, listen, Lord of the Rings are great. The Hobbit is trash. That's what but, I mean. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Uh, it's a fight that we have at the office quite often. <laughs> one, of our, one of our staff members thinks that The Hobbit is great, and Laurel knows who she is. Um I'll put her on blast. Um, so, so we went to see the Hobbit. I had a couple of margaritas and he was like, Hey, I'm starting this company. You should start it with me. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I fit with training Marines and, and teaching technology that I don't know myself that well right now. Why don't you and Albert, and we kind of talked through it a little bit and there was some like, well, I do want to, I do want to leave from the Kennedy center. I'm kind of ready. I've been there for six, seven years at that point. It's like, but I don't want to take resources away from the company getting started if I don't, if we don't know why I should be there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I was going to ask, I was going to ask you, did the alcohol help or hurt? Uh, um, let's say both. Let's, 
let's say a little of column A and a little of column B. And so I said, you know, he and I talked through it a lot and, and he and Albert and I talked about it and we kind of realized that what I should do is um, I'll just help on nights and weekends and I'll keep like, I'll learn more about the work we do. I'll maybe try to find a contract that could pay for a salary for me or I'll, you know, help with, um, you know, getting things running on nights and weekends and basically moonlighted with them, you know, for free for a couple of years until it made sense for me to transition over when we nice. started need the, we started to need to build the company in a different way and to expand beyond just the DOD as a client base. Nice. Nice. So you dipped your toes. You didn't swim. You didn't go all in uh, to swim. Um, and when did you go all in? Um, you probably know better than I do if you looked at my LinkedIn. <laughs> um, fall of 2017. And what um, made you? What made you, Alan? What made you go all in? We had the company was growing the military training, and there was there was enough there were enough resources to allow for me to start exploring what the breadth of the company could be beyond that, um, and invest in like building an administrative staff and um, trying to find non-DOD contracts and try to build the offerings beyond what we were doing. Those things were, were in yeah. place and it, um, it just made sense, you yeah. know, for on Brad's side, on my side, on Albert's side, on all sides, it's so interesting how you got hired by your first paying client. I mean, you as in the firm, it's so interesting. A random like general just walked by and, and he's like, what's going on? And and hearing, I mean, or even like meeting people, right? Um, a lot of uh, listeners who are, you know, who have kids or or nephews or nieces, like, I don't want to go on this play date, you know, I, I play group. I don't want, you just don't know who you're going to meet. Yeah. Um, and uh, I love this. Um, and we have this as well. It's called the Brussels Childbirth Trust. You meet so many interesting people who are like, oh, God, having a baby is so hard. I'm like, yeah, okay. They're going through the same thing. You know, it's not, you're not alone. Right. And and then one conversation leads to another. Yeah. Holy cow. It could be like life changing. You just. I mean, community is, community is so important in, especially right now, especially coming out of the pandemic and, and, um, and finding those, we, we noticed, we can talk about this too, the building that we took over um, when we needed to expand and, and grow our offerings became a, an events facility as well because of, a, of an opportunity that was shocking. Um, but now we have 14 weddings booked this year. You know, people are desperate for community. We need other human beings. This is, a, you know, as, as exciting as it is for me to be able to have a conversation with you across the world there is so much lost in this environment, yep. right? Where whereas we need to be with other people, we need to to breathe the same air, and that's why theater is so vital too. Oh yeah. Um, and and when you are open to that community and open yourself to the the possibility of what being in a community can be, then those opportunities do present themselves to grow something with a friend or or um, you know build a piece of art or start a company or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My goodness. So like Department of Defense, who are your clients? Department of Defense, other big names that I cannot name. Oh, we uh, also have 14 weddings booked this year. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. versatile, open-minded, 
agile so many adjectives i can think of like like right now the way you described oh, I it could, i could buzzword all day long we're <laughs> paradigms and and uh design thinking oh my gosh oh gosh I, we can do that till the cows come home that's amazing <laughs> and, and you know alan with you know with everything that's been going on and as chief creative officer mm-hmm. you've also seen firsthand you know how veterans transition yeah with with confidence and purpose and it's not easy for them right um you can be a very bright star in a certain um area and this is also very relevant to non veterans or you know totally like civilians what are your favorite top two tips to help the listener who might be um going through a transition today and you know what what's your top tip to help them stay on their game particularly yeah. when things don't go well so uh so change is hard even when it's good right um change is hard even when it's good yeah. that's true change, that's true change is hard right that is a it is difficult whether you're transitioning out of a job whether yeah. your your relationship is ending or changing whether your um your friendships are changing you you're leaving school you're you're looking for new work change is hard right so not i get very uh my my tips are not going to be i think like any any of the ones that you might have had in the past where they're like you should make sure your resume is in line no and- no no i don't want to hear that I, I, like you said be yourself so right. what what are you I, really thinking it it's that you have to kind of acknowledge your need for health and your need for who, how to ad- adapt to that difficulty of change in whatever way is going to keep you healthy so if that's therapy if that's um uh, spending time with family if that's finding a friend that you can confide in um one of the most important things for me at the Kennedy Center was having friends whom I could um spend time with at work and we would take walks around the perimeter of the building and talk about what was going on in our careers what what we wanted to see change what we wanted to see um adapt and having those confidants was an incredibly valuable resource for me so if you are looking for a change if you are looking to make it make something happen uh even if it's in in the same organization that you're a part of find a confidant that you can trust with your feelings which is hard and someone whom you can be i'm going to Brené Brown all over this thing like someone you can be vulnerable with and you can you can be your your full and open total mm-hmm. self and open up to them mm-hmm. uh, Make sure, I mean, you got to protect yourself too and, and trust that they're going to keep your stories in confidence. But being able to say to somebody, hey, I really am really upset with work right now. Here's why I think I should change. What do you think? You know my boss. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? How can we do this? How can I do that? And be that for somebody else too. You know, be a, as receptive a, yeah. a listener as you can be. No, um, that's, that, a, that's amazing. Think, that's one of the, I'm sorry, you were saying? I just think that that's, I, I think having a confidant is really important. And then um, taking care of yourself as you do that transition, right? Finding the things that keep you healthy and, and uh, both physically and mentally. Yeah. Um, go for runs, work out, you know, go see a movie, play video games, do the things that you need to, to keep your head on your shoulders in a way that's going to um, protect you. Yeah. Um, this job seeking is hard. Yeah. Finding a job is hard. Um, it's a full-time job on top of having another job. 
right? For it's, sure. For sure. It, and and change is hard, like you said. So um, that's really, really relevant. It's, I think it just might be the most unique answer I've ever heard to this question. <laughs> Health and well-being, particularly in days of, uh, not days, months of isolation. Also, uh, also have any typos in your resume. Like also don't do that. Like, also, like, also sure. that sure that goes without saying. I wasn't looking for tactical answers, no. But um, uh, it's so relevant what you just said. Um, particularly, have that person reach out that you can reach out to. You don't hesitate. Who is your two AM friend? Yeah. Um, what does that conversation look like? Um, this buzzword that I know is uh, uh, self care, but you know, at the end of the day, if you don't care. Oh, I'm all for, I mean, like I, I came to therapy way too late in my life. I, I wish I had gotten into it when I was Mm. 14. Mm. I came to physical, um, fitness too Mm. late in my Mm. life. I, Mm. I got healthier, physically healthier, younger. Um, like yes, it's all, um, kind of, uh, well, I'm, I'm, my, my words are escaping me, but it, you know, a lot of these things are, um, cliche, right? Yeah. Cliche for a reason, right? No, yeah. Yeah. Both mentally and physically and whatever that means for you. I'm not saying that everyone needs to like go running five, four miles a day. Um, find the things that make you feel, feel embodied and feel well in your yeah. body. Yeah. And then you can be a better part of the organization you're a part sure. of. You can serve the work that you're doing, whether that work is for a company, whether the work is for yourself or whether the work is in trying to find a new job better. Yeah. Um, and and you said, you know, you got into these things too late. Well, uh, yeah, as long as you're standing, it's not too late. So it's a good reminder to yeah. me, to me and to the listener um, about um, taking care of yourself because you've only got one, one body, one mind. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and so we're coming close to the end, Alan. And there's this question I ask all my guests. When you look back, mm-hmm. what is that one standout, defining moment that supercharged your career and helped you to move towards your current success? Um, it was when I was 19 or 18, and mm-hmm. I was I was cast as the one of the one of the leads uh, in this show. And I, looking back, I'm so embarrassed. I did a, a monologue from the movie dogma as my, uh, audition piece, which, uh, is a great movie. Uh, I, I stand by it, but, um, the director pulled me aside. He was like, I'm going to, I cast you, but never do a monologue from a movie in a theater class again. And that started this moment of, or this this series of moments with this this mentor of mine, um, where I was both given the responsibility of this role, which was, you know, to an uh, an eighteen year old first college, you know, first semester college student was everything mm-hmm. in the world to me. So I was given the responsibility of being in this role, and I was allowed to make a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. I. Um, I went up on my lines a lot. I um, showed up late to rehearsal a couple of times. I, I, I just failed a lot. And I was in looking back in the moment. I felt like every time I did it, I thought felt it was the end of the world. My stomach fell out. I, you know, got sweaty. I. The point being that I was given a space 
in retrospect, was a very safe space to make those failures and, and fail and learn the lessons that I needed to learn. And that has given me such an important perspective on how to provide that grace to others throughout my career and to understand that failure is a really, really important and valuable tool. Um, and to be mindful that when somebody messes something up, it's not because they are trying to be, um, they're, they're probably trying their best and that this yeah. is an opportunity for learning. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably, probably the, if I, if I really were to take stock of when I started to like understand both how to be a graceful, uh, a graceful, oh, pardon me, I'm hitting my mic too. Um, I'm bad. I should not be on podcasts because I'm much more, much. Too, uh, this is hilarious because you're like talking about grace and you're slapping your mic around. It's just very graceful. <laughs> so <right>. ironic. <laughs> um, but that's what no, but uh, it's uh, like. interesting, Alan, because um, there's two things what you just said here. Number one, um, this is again a very unique answer. Uh, people, when they talk about, you know, lessons they learned or, you know, unlikely source of mentorship, et cetera. You just don't know where lessons are going to come from, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, corporate life at Ernst & Young, Goldman Sachs or stage at a university yeah. uh, in the middle of a performance. And you just don't know. It just might hit you as again, coming back to the open world, as long as you're open. And, and the second thing that you said, which I think there's more to it than meets the eye, do not read a monologue from a movie for a theater audition. So it's like, you know, customize it, right? Personalize it to where you are um, instead of copy pasting a strategy which may work with one company. It's big, Google or whatever. It may not necessarily work. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. No, but I, there, there's I, something deeper in what he said for me. It just it. stays. That's great. No, he'll, he'll be very happy to, to hear that. I'll call him and tell him that you, uh, you found what's, that. What's his name? <laughs> Uh, Stephen Brees. He's the um, shout out to Stephen. Hello. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For sure. And, you know, it's just I. I think that this whole like, if I can just soapbox for half a second, the idea that we are all, um, we all know what we're doing. We all know what like you know. You look at a lot of these corporate leaders who give these talks or give keynote addresses, and they're like, here are the here are the five solutions, and I'm gonna take you on this journey of self-discovery. We don't know what we're doing here, right? Like we at Building Momentum are uh, a PhD electrical engineer, a classically trained guitarist turned uh, chemist turned Navy officer veteran, former theater actor. And uh, Tom, our other C-suite member is um, 29, and we uh, you uh, promoted him into the COO role at the end of last year, right? We there's no MBA among us. There's no business school. There's no we, what we do is we hear about an idea and we determine whether or not that's a good idea to pursue. And if it is, we'll pursue it. And if it's not, then we'll learn a lesson from that failure and we'll move forward. Um, you know, we opened a drive-in movie theater in the middle of the pandemic because it was a good idea. Um, but we were willing to try and it had it failed miserably, we would have failed and we would have moved on. We would have known never to try to open a, a live venue again, but now it's making us think maybe we should open a venue next year. Mm -hmm. That's um, the power. That's the power of ideas. And it's not even about, was this a good idea or, or was it a bad idea? It's the power of speaking up. I have an idea. 
let's execute and and see how it goes this is the sort of stuff to my dear listener that you would do not learn at harvard business school or stanford yeah. or i I'm fine. If you have an MBA, I love that for you. I but have an I have an MBA, but there's so many that. things. There's so many things you don't learn at business school. Everyone who's listening who has an MBA, you know it. I know it. Alan for heck knows it for sure. <laughs> the thing that's the thing that I love about my theatrical education too is that like they we had to learn a little bit of a lot about a lot of things, and so we learned about history and math and science and social studies and all these other uh, academic pursuits because they served the work. Sure. Right. And same for, for anything. So, so, you know, expand beyond what, you know, reading, you know, read Radical Candor and read um, uh, Brene Brown and read like the poetics. Right. You should you should expand the, the breadth of what your education can be even continuing to be because it it's going to you're going to get your good ideas from all over the place. Yes. Um, I've taken great ideas from Shakespeare and yeah. Brene and you know, uh, uh, Pete Holmes podcast. So, yeah, no, I, exactly, exactly. And uh, this was a, a little sliver of uh, Professor Brooks talking. I almost had an, you know, inkling of what it's like to be in your class. I'm ready. Uh, I, I'm, I'm ready to jump into all of the. You know, <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. And 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 Alan, anyone who's listening are like, oh my god, this is such an interesting guy. And if they want to find out more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, I am very open with. Uh, direct contact you can reach out to me on linkedin mm -hmm. you can email me at alan at buildmo.com it's mm -hmm. a-l-l-n mm -hmm. at com, or you can go to buildmo.com which is building momentum b-u-i-l-d-m-o.com and find out all about us awesome i was gonna say i'm gonna put the link in the show notes but uh, thank you for spelling it out alan this has been such a pleasure and so much fun and wish you continued success with building momentum and oh, beyond I had such a good time. Thank you so much. Hey, you made it till the end. That shows that you care about your career. And that means we need to hang out a little bit more. So just a couple of things. A new podcast episode is dropped every single Monday. Wednesday, I take out one email which relates to your career and absolute amazing insights that I only share on email. So if you want to subscribe, go to the link in my show notes. That's superchargeyourself.com forward slash newsletter. And finally, did you know I hang out on LinkedIn, YouTube and Facebook live every single Friday at 2 p.m. Central European time. So you are more than welcome to join me. Just follow the links in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, maybe share it with three of your closest friends. And if you're feeling even more generous, leave me a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts. That really, really helps the discoverability of the show. So thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourself. And until next time, bye for now.